Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Sophie with our weekly podcast. Hope everyone is doing well. Today is really interesting for me because I and my, myself, I you know, go through this myself. I think anybody listening, once you really get into this, you're going to see how, it, how much it plagues every part of our lives, everywhere we go, everything we do. Very interesting topic today called fears, and everyone has them. Whether they realize them or not is really the biggest issue. And I think the thing that I want to get to today with our expert is really what is the, the core of a fear? Is, is it really something biological that goes on in our brain and then we get the feeling of anxiety and we're fearful? Is it something that we inherit? Is it something that has happened to us earlier on in our life? Those are the kinds of questions I want to get to today because I think we need to know how we can face our fears. What are we afraid of? Why are we afraid of certain things? Why is somebody afraid of getting in an elevator and going up when somebody else is afraid of a snake? I mean, I think it, it kind of makes no sense, but also there's got to be a story behind it. And do you think any of your fears have really interfered with your ability to kind of live your life and function? That's the other biggest thing, because believe it or not, that fear and that anxiety really become a barrier to your happiness. So I want you to call in, give me some of your thoughts, give me some of your opinions, give me some of the things that you're afraid of and how you've overcome them if you have, and if you haven't, how they really interfere with your life. Give me a call, 1-855-SOPHIE-NOW or 1-855-767-4966. Every caller will receive a free signed copy of my book, Side by Side, the Mother-Daughter Conflict Resolution Book. So I guess for me, I mean, the biggest issue is the, these fear things. I, I treat a lot of people, and a lot of times I do have to use medication because the actual feeling of the fear is what really paralyzes people to be able to go on and live and, and do the kinds of things or the kinds of treatments, therapies that are going to really get rid of that fear, whether it's retraining their brain to think differently or it's the kinds of treatment where you kind of flood somebody. There's a there's a therapy called flooding where you take somebody who may be afraid of something and you slowly expose them to it in exposure treatment and then you flood them with that whole kind of thing. So if they're afraid of an elevator, you get them used to it. We talk about it, go walk in one, don't actually ride in one until you ride to the first floor, the second floor, and then you finally just do it a lot until they overcome it. And it's really just behaviorally getting used to it and your brain whether it's producing anxiety or not, is being able to tolerate it and your body is not holding back. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that, that we do every day and we don't realize it. And, and there are many more things, I think, that we're going to learn today from our expert that we're afraid of, but we don't really know we're afraid. And so they don't really rise to that level of fear and produce that much anxiety that really paralyzes us and we can go on with our day. So, for instance, going to the grocery store, or getting on the freeway, you might have that little pang of anxiety or fear, but it's not enough to kind of stop you from going ahead and doing that activity. The bigger issue is why are you coming up with those fears and why do they sometimes rise to that level where you really can't move through them? Give me a call, 1-855-SOPHIE-NOW or 1-855-767. I want to hear from you. Joining me today to talk about facing our fears and fears in general and all of the answers that we need for anxiety and fear is Dr. David Talwin, who is a very, very well-established and very well-versed, educated man. Very happy and proud to have him as part of our podcast today. He is the founder and the director of the Anxiety Disorders Center at the Institute of Living. He's also an adjunct associate professor at Yale, the School of Medicine. He's received his Ph.D. from the University of Arkansas and completed a pre-doctoral internship at Tufts in Boston. 
He's going to tell you all about himself. He's got a ton of stuff, lots of articles, lots of books. But his most recent book that I was looking up is very interesting. It's called Face Your Fears. It's a proven plan to beat anxiety, panic, phobias, and obsessions. It's available on Amazon, and he's going to tell us all about himself and his book. Dr. Talwin, are you there? I am. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having us. It was very nice, and we're very happy to have you. Tell us a little bit about you and what you do as far as fear, anxiety, and all that stuff. Well, sure. I'm, I'm uh, both a, uh, a therapist and a researcher on the topic of what are called anxiety disorders. And so anxiety disorders are, are those anxiety or fear-related problems that are severe enough that they start to have an impact on the person's capacity to function or their well-being. And then that's a little bit different from just, you know, everyday anxiety because lots of people will feel, as I think you were mentioning a minute ago, you know, a twinge of anxiety here and there. But if it doesn't get in the way, it doesn't create any problems in functioning, it's not making you miserable and it's not right. making the people around you miserable, usually we would just say, well, there's no problem. That's just, that's just how it is. But, you know, for a, a subset of the population, and we could be talking about a quarter of the population or wow, more. that's a lot. You know, well, yeah, I mean, but there's a, a lot of, of good epidemiologic research to, to bear that out, that at some point in their lives, they're going to actually start to become debilitated by fears or anxiety. That is, there will be things that they can't do or won't do or they can't do as well because they have these anxieties or fears. Those are the people who have what we would call anxiety disorders. And they could be phobias, like the person who doesn't want to get, you know, in an elevator, yeah. or the person who doesn't want to go to a high place, or, or the person who's afraid of uh, snakes or dogs. But it also could be much more complex anxiety-related conditions, like people who have recurrent anxiety or panic attacks that seem to come out of the blue people who engage in compulsive behaviors that they know don't make sense, but they can't seem to stop. Like people, what? Tell me well, more. Well, so for example, I mean, one example of a compulsion, you know, if somebody has OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, is right. that they may engage in excessive hand washing, that they just can't get away from the sink, they can't stop washing and scrubbing, and they don't entirely know why. They, they wish they could stop but there is something driving them. And they don't always recognize that as being a form of fear. And, and you really, this is, you really this is part of what I want to do in this program is, is point them right back to this is fear and this is how we deal with it. Okay, and you really think that, and I treat a lot of this, you really think people can't stop that OCD stuff. I can't stop washing my hands. I can't turn off that, you know, stop turning off that light switch, that kind of stuff. Well, I think their subjective sense at the time is that they can't stop. Of course, we know that if we give them some help and support and some good instructions, they can, in fact, stop and they can get better. But what ends up happening is that when somebody's in the grip of, of severe anxiety or fear, right. they really start to feel out of control. It feels like they have no choice but to engage in avoidance or safety kinds of behaviors to try to feel better. And is it safe to say that some of these behaviors that they're engaging in are self-soothing to them? Well, I think that's probably true of most of them. I mean, it, and it's, it's understandable. I mean, whenever we, none of us like to feel bad, and when we feel bad, it's, it's fairly natural for us to want to seek out something that makes us feel better. But, but here's the rub when it comes to anxiety or fear-based disorders. When we're feeling anxious or afraid of something, the right. natural tendency is to want to avoid that thing that we're afraid of. 
Right. Uh, of course, that feels somewhat better, and, and it is a little bit soothing, and we can relax a little bit because we got away from it. Right. But what ends up happening over the long run is that that avoidance prevents us from learning that there was really not much to be afraid of in the first place. So right. okay. by avoiding, we sort of cause our fear to stick, often permanently, and we can't get rid of it until we learn to reverse that process of avoidance, and okay. we call that exposure. So tell me something. What would make it come up as a feeling of anxiety or fear of whatever, if it's a snake or it's getting into the car to get on the freeway or the bus? What, what makes something become a fearful experience for somebody or they get that anxiety? What, what does that? Is it a past life thing? Is it a, you know, many of our listeners are going to be like, well, is it my brain working over time? Mm -hmm. Did my grandmother give me this genetically? What's going on? Yeah. Well, it may be all of the above. I mean, certainly there is no doubt that fear originates in the brain, and that is true of everybody, me, you, and people with debilitating anxiety disorders. Well, tell in, us more in, about that. I mean, Yeah, well, in particular, there's a region of the brain that's called the amygdala, which is sort of the fear center of the brain. It's designed to sound the alarm when something is threatening us. Now, okay. it, this is good. You want an amygdala because if you didn't have an amygdala, you'd be dead. Right. You would have walked out into traffic or done something else very foolish. Right. So it, it's good that we have it, but what ends up happening is that most of the time the amygdala is relatively well balanced out by other regions of the brain, most notably the frontal cortex, the frontal lobes of the brain, which right. sort of think rationally and, and sort of tell us, you know, no, you're getting worked up over nothing. Don't worry about it. In, in the case of severe anxiety, what's happening is that the amygdala is sort of overacting and or the, the frontal lobes are underacting. And so what you end up with is this sort of unrestrained experience of fear, anxiety, or panic. And why are they over or underreacting? Is that the, the inherited genetic piece? It may very well be that at least part of this is genetic. I mean, we certainly know that anxiety disorders run in families. It's very likely that part of what people inherit are certain characteristics of the brain, maybe an overactive amygdala, that make it easier for the person to develop anxiety disorders. So you probably don't inherit the anxiety disorder itself, but you may inherit a brain that is more anxiety prone. Okay. And if you put that brain in the wrong circumstances, it will develop an anxiety disorder. Okay. And then why the focus on an elevator, a snake, a height, or whatever? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know, we've, there's been a lot of, of people trying to figure that out. Why do certain people fear certain things? Right. And there, there's a couple of theories. I mean, one is that, that often we tend to fear things that we've had some sort of nasty experience with. Okay. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you yourself have to have been traumatized or hurt. I mean, sometimes uh. that's the case. I mean, if, if I got bitten by a dog, it's not hard to imagine how I might develop a fear of a dog. But we also know that if I have a f close friend who got bitten by a dog and told me all about it, or if I saw it happen on TV, that that too could rub off on me. Or if I had a parent who was behaving in a very fearful manner toward dogs, that too could rub off on me and I could start to pick up on it. There's another theory called preparedness, which suggests that we may in fact be biologically hardwired to pick up certain fears more easily, more rapidly right. than others. And you the, know, that, yeah, that's a genetic thing, too. Well, that's the idea, is that maybe this is just passed down in our species, you know, because if you sort of think back to caveman days, 
you know, what are the sorts of things that would have been really adaptive for you as a caveman to be afraid of? Well, probably sharp-toothed animals and poisonous right, right, snakes exactly. and nasty insects right. and uh, maybe hostile other tribes. And it turns out that we see lots of people still having clusters of fears in those areas. Okay, yeah, they're afraid of certain animals. They're afraid of hostile-looking people. You know, they're afraid of, of confinement. They're afraid of the dark. They're afraid of all kinds of things that maybe could have been dangerous to a caveman, not terribly dangerous to us, but, but maybe we're just wired to pick up on that fear. Okay, I got that. So many, many listeners are going to say, so, like, what do I do about this? Like, do I always have to take medicine? If I do, am I going to be addicted to this stuff? Or is mm-hmm. there better ways to deal with the real issue? And see, and I think there's got to be better ways, and I always guide my patients towards different non-medicinal kinds of treatments for the long haul, especially. Yeah, this is a really good treatment, and I think in, in some ways this is the good news part of the story, which is that, that these anxiety disorders are incredibly treatable. Wow, I mean, treatable great. to the extent that there's really no good reason why somebody should have to suffer from one of these disorders for a long period of time. The problem that we run into is that almost nobody with an anxiety disorder actually gets it treated in the right way. Ah, why? You know, well, I don't know. I think a lot of the time they don't even realize that there is such a thing as treatment for this, or they don't recognize it as a problem, or they just, they just say, oh, I'm just crazy. Or you know, if they do get treated for it, often what they get is the wrong kind of treatment. You know, so a lot of people think that, that you know, for example, if I'm anxious, the best thing to do is just start talking to a counselor and talking about my life. And right. it, it turns out, actually, that doesn't really help. I mean, no. it may make you right. feel better in other ways. But it doesn't actually make you stop washing your hands, and it doesn't make you stop having panic attacks. But what will? Well, what really seems to help is this this principle of exposure therapy, and this cuts across all of the anxiety disorders. The idea being that if avoidant behavior has started to take over, whether blatant or subtle... So if you're afraid of the elevator, you're afraid of the height or whatever... And and avoiding, that, that what you have to do is start to reverse that process of avoidance and create a process of exposure. And so we would start by having the person trying things that are outside their comfort zone, maybe right. not too far, but, but certainly uncomfortable to do, and they have them do that until they feel not so bad about it, and then have them step it up until eventually they're doing things that perhaps they would never have imagined that they would be able to do. Okay. And I've, if somebody walks through that, it, it's really very effective. Okay, I have two questions, and one is I've given patients who have been going through that with their psychologist or therapist medicine to kind of take the edge off those symptoms to keep moving. Have you ever done that? I I have. And, you know, it's funny because the the data, the research data are really mixed on this. Sometimes it turns out that taking the edge off is not very good. Right, because you're you're taking it away. Right, exactly. The idea here is that you're sort of, through exposure, whether you're doing it with a professional therapist or you're doing it with a self-directed program like Face Your Fears, what you are doing, at least in part, is teaching yourself how to cope with anxiety. You're teaching yourself that when I feel bad, I've got certain ways that I can adjust to it and things get better. And so sometimes if you pop a whole bunch of tranquilizing medications, in particular the the short-acting high-potency benzodiazepines, if you load up mm-hmm. on those things before doing exposure therapy, What's the all point? you're really teaching yourself is I need these medications in order to feel better. And that's not really what you want to be learning. Exactly. You want to be learning that you can achieve that process and tolerate the feeling. Exactly. I think a lot of the time what, what it boils down to is that we get, 
way, way too hung up on this concept of feeling better in the moment. Yes. You know, we, I have to feel better. I better calm down. I better overcome this. And, and often that just feeds into the problem. Yeah, it makes you more anxious and you're tripping. Right. Sometimes what you need to be able to do instead is learn how to tolerate feeling bad. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. There really is nothing wrong with that. Okay, my other quick question before we have a caller waiting for us is what I got a couple emails from people and some Twitter askings. What is flooding then if it's not exposure or well, are they the same? Well, flooding is a kind of exposure. I mean, t typically when we do exposure, there are, are two different ways that we could do it. One we would call graded exposure, which is what I was describing previously. Right. So we start with something that you might call moderately challenging okay. and have the person do it and you keep them in that, in that situation until they feel somewhat better, and then you move up to something slightly more challenging and so on. So it's a very step-by-step -step process. Right. In flooding is sort of doing that, but starting at the very top of the list. So it would be starting with the thing that is scariest. Now, both of these approaches can work, but I think that you, you have some fairly obvious differences in comfort. One is probably a lot easier to tolerate than the other. I mean, they'll both get you there, but, you know, flooding probably, I mean, if somebody really wants to do it, I, I, don't, I don't discourage them from doing it because I know well, that, that it works. But, it sounds scary. But yeah, it is, it is scary, and, and it may be more anxiety than the person really needs to experience in order to overcome their fear. That said, it. it may be that you get there faster. I got it. Okay. On the line, I think we have Jenny who's got a question for us. Jenny? How Hi, are you? how are you? Um, Hi. So, I have two little kids, and I find myself very anxious about them picking germs up and getting sick and then mm -hmm. avoiding from taking them out because then I'm worried they're going to get sick, and it's become kind of a um, debilitating cycle. Mm. I want to see what your thoughts are on that. Well, so here we have a, a, a cycle that, that I think is very familiar to a lot of people yeah. of fear and avoidance. And germs. So, yeah. But what ends up happening, and you see, this is the same cycle that people with all kinds of different fear-based problems experience, which is that I'm afraid of something, I can't tolerate that feeling of fear, and so my reaction to it is to avoid, to, to not do it. And sure enough, what we find is that in the long run, she's not feeling any better. In fact, probably what's happening is that that fear is actually deepening. It's being reinforced, and it's sticking. So the, the strategy here would be to really examine what it is that you are afraid of and determine whether perhaps you are overestimating the likelihood of bad outcomes. Because mm. the fact of the matter is most of the things that you're worrying about, while they are possible, they're not highly likely. The, the next would be to put together a step-by-step -step program for gradually doing things that you are uncomfortable with, not things that are horribly dangerous, not things that, you know, the average person would not be able to do or would be crazy. Like what? Give us an idea. Well, so, for example, if you are afraid for your kids to go outside or pick up germs, I mean, you, you, one thing you could do to start would be to encourage them to go play outside in the yard. You know, you could even, uh, if, depending on how you were feeling, you could even go outside and make mud pies with them. But right? what if it makes her too anxious and she can't do it? 
Well, if, if that's the case, then you sort of back down and say, well, we'll start with something a little bit easier. But again, you know, anxiety is not really the enemy here. I mean, you, don't, you certainly don't want to pull back from these exercises just because they would make you anxious. They're supposed to make you anxious. That's, that's how this works. Okay. But you also then want to pull back from all those safety behaviors. So anything that you've been doing to give yourself a sense of comfort, you want to let go of that. And you want to start facing the things that you're afraid of and seeing for yourself, oh, you know what, nothing bad is happening. This is okay. And in fact, you start to realize, wow, people all up and down my street are allowing their kids to play outside, and they're okay too. Okay, so you're telling her to slowly try integrating against the things that she would typically not want to do. That's exactly right. And that, that may mean that you're, you're, if, if your primary concern is that your kids will pick up germs, then what you want to do is think about what are some ways that, that the average person would consider at least to be safe enough that I could expose my kids to germs and not do anything about it and sort of show myself that I can tolerate that and that nothing bad happens. Okay. So, Jenny, does that answer your question? Because I think some of it is the fact that my bigger question is, does this impact your, your children? Well, yeah, and I think that's, that's also the other part is that they are picking up in the, on the anxiety, so now they're becoming neurotic and... Fearful. Right. So you definitely want to nip this in the bud. You know, this is not the sort of thing that you want to continue or pass on. Dr. Talwin, do you see that a lot where like a parent who has whatever their whole fear-based thing is, mm -hmm. is transferring that onto their kid? All the time. And you can easily see how that would happen. I mean, if you have a parent who, you know, from an early age is transferring to you the belief that the world is a dangerous place, right, you're exactly. most certainly going to grow up thinking that way, and you're going to start acting and feeling accordingly. So the message is really, Jenny and anybody else who's listening, if you really have these fears and you have small children, even if you don't have small children, you have children, it's trickling out. You've got to get this stuff wrapped up because I, it does affect everybody. I think the biggest favor you can do for your kids in a situation like that is get your fear taken care of. Get this under control. I agree. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your help. Okay, good All right, luck. Jenny. So tell me a little bit more about, I saw that you were um, on hoarders. Yeah, yeah. And what is, what is the, the core issue with hoarders? I mean, it's got to be something about fear and anxiety. Well, you know, for some it is. I mean, actually, I think the more we learn about hoarding, the more we're starting to think that it is probably not primarily an anxiety-based concern. Um, which is why I sort of backed away from, from hoarding a bit in the Face Your Fears program. Uh, that we, we do talk about it a bit, right? Uh, although I think there's, prob there's a, a, a better program that, that we have out called Buried in Treasures, which is much more specific to hoarding. But I, I think what we see is that in some cases with hoarding, the person is fearful of throwing things away. Why, though? Um, well, sometimes they're worried that, they, that they're going to need it and be unprepared. But doesn't that play into anxiety and fear, the fear of losing, or no, well, not really? Sure, it can, absolutely, and there could be just a fear of losing anything, or there could be a fear of, of missing an opportunity, or there could be a, a, you know, there's all kinds of things. Right. Sometimes there's just a fear of decision-making. Right. So the person is afraid to make decisions because essentially they're afraid to make mistakes. And so if that's really what you drill it down to, is there a way with exposure or whatever teaching somebody how to make an effective decision and live with it and tolerate it? Absolutely. But, but you know, if, if, for example, and this isn't necessarily specific to hoarding because right. we see, you know, people with, say, generalized anxiety also being right, kind right. of fearful of making mistakes. People with OCD have this, too. Part of what we want to do is, having identified this as an irrational or excessive fear of making mistakes, then I would say, 
your job then is to start making mistakes on purpose. And I don't want you to make huge ones. Don't crash your car. Don't empty. Don't drain your bank account. Right. But I, I want you to start planning some mistakes into your life, starting with small ones and maybe working up to ones that are somewhat more threatening, and showing to yourself, you know, showing yourself that that nothing bad happens. That the world doesn't come crashing down on you when you make a mistake. Exactly. And so, if somebody can do this without the help of people like us. Great. And if they think they need some assistance, they should reach out. And who would you recommend they reach out to? Most certainly. And, and you know, I, I think there's a number of different uh, uh, counselors and psychologists that are, are experts in this exposure-based uh, kind of, of treatment. And broadly speaking, we call this cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh -huh. And the Association of Behavioral and Cognitive Therapies, uh, or ABCT.org, mm. uh, has a very good list uh, that is searchable by location. Of, of people that are experienced in this kind of treatment. So I, I will often recommend, you know, it, why don't you try this on your own? Because we know a lot of people are going to start feeling better if we just give them the right tools. And if it feels like you're still having difficulty or you need somebody to help you with it, then there are, are people around you that can help. Okay. Tell me a little bit more when you hear if somebody, like I oftentimes hear people say, well, you know, it's all about control for me. What yeah. role is control in all of this anxiety fear business? Well, we identify, you know, excessive need for control as one of uh, a handful of core beliefs that seem to cut across anxiety disorders. Not everybody with uh, anxiety disorders has this issue, but many do. So they worry, for example, that they need to control their environments. So I have to make sure that I'm in control of everything that happens to me or around me. Okay. There are other people who feel an excessive need to be in control of themselves. So some people might say, for example, I can't allow myself to think bad thoughts, right. or I can't allow myself to get anxious or upset. That all of those kind of center around this kind of excessive and probably irrational need for control. The fact of the matter is none of us have that level of control over our right. environments or over ourselves. Or ever will. Or ever will, right. And there's no amount of trying or practice that's going to, to get us there. So often, you know, rather than, than having the person keep getting hung up on just the perfect way to clear their mind or right. relax or control other people. What do you do? Often what I will do is, is teach the art of surrendering. And what does that mean? Well, the basic idea is kind of accepting the fact that there are some things that I simply cannot control and it would not be in my best interest to even attempt to control it. Rather, what I need to do is live with it. Now, is that where a place where some therapeutic intervention of the kind of talking therapy would work to help somebody deal with the facts of the frustrations and their feelings when they realize they can't control everything? It certainly could. And I, I think one area where we find, see a lot of promise is in the area of, of uh, things like mindfulness meditation, right? which is a great way of thinking about anxiety and I think entirely consistent with, with exposure, like the Face Your Fears program, which the, the idea being that if you start noticing some uncomfortable thoughts or feelings, um, rather than getting all hung up on trying to change them, maybe what you need to do is acknowledge them and learn to live with them. Most of us can learn this on our own, and mm -hmm. we can handle it, but when it reaches a certain level, your recommendation is to really reach out for help from an expert.
yeah, I certainly if it feels like this has gotten out of control and, and your efforts to handle it on your own are not working, absolutely, you should reach out. All right. So, Dr. Tolan, tell us a little bit about how we can find your book, your program, and how we can mm -hmm. find you on Twitter, Facebook, your website, all that stuff, so we can really kind of reach to you when we need you. Okay. Let's, I'm going to try not to screw this up. All Please right, so not. Fa Face Your Fears is uh, available at Amazon.com. It is available in your local bookstore. Uh, you can find more information about it, although not buy it, but you can find information about it at my website, which is drtolin.com. That's D-R-T-O-L-I-N.com. Uh, I'm at Twitter at dtolin, D-T-O-L-I-N, or Facebook at Dr. David Tolin. Thank you very much for your expertise. It was an honor to have you. Well, thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. And we it. will be tweeting you. Great. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. So on the phone with me was Dr. David Tolan, a expert in anxiety and facing your fears. And he has a really great book out that I was looking at a couple of the pages of it on uh, Amazon.com. It's called Face Your Fears. It's a proven plan that you can do at home to beat anxiety, fear, panic, phobias, obsessions, all that kind of stuff. It's good behavioral ways to retrain your brain and push yourself through some of the anxiety that comes up for you. We also talked about some of the core reasons that we even have this anxiety and how they translate into having an actual becoming an actual fear so you have this anxiety whether you're wired that way genetically or you've had some kind of maybe trauma in your life but at the end of the day you have it and there's a part of your brain that makes it and there is medicine to turn that part of your brain down but his recommendation and I firmly support that is not that medicine is the first choice you want to feel some of that anxiety and you want to see how it's translated out so you get the anxiety it's geared toward an elevator, or it's geared toward a snake, or it's geared toward a height, and tolerate it and follow a plan with some guided expertise, whether you use a book or you go to an actual person to help you who's trained in this to work through that anxiety, break through those fears, and be able to accomplish the thing that you're afraid of. So it's being near a snake, it's riding an elevator, it's getting up in a high building, whatever it is, to face your fears. And we had a really interesting call from Jenny who called about the fact that she's afraid basically of germs and therefore hold her small children back from going out and having fun basically. They can't really go out in the yard. She's not into them touching the dirt and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we learned that it really can translate into holding your kids back and having them fear-based as well if you're fear-based. So parents, listen, look up. If you're fear-based, you've got to get it dealt with because it does translate out and trickle over to your children. They're going to become fear-based as well. And it's really not the best place to be because when you're living life from a spot core of fear, you're always going to hold yourself back and you're going to never reach your potential. And that's what today is about. Face your fears, reach your potential. Give me some ideas, but at the end of the day, I really think that the bottom line is you got to face your fears because you will never become who you should be, and that's the best thing, you. one sophie now or one 767 Give me some of your ideas. Give me some of your thoughts. I want to know what you're afraid of. I want to know how you overcame it, and if you're not going to overcome it, I want you to overcome it and listen to some of my experts and get some of their stuff. It's really great, easy to do at home ways to overcome a lot of panic and a lot of fear. Follow me on my podcast on the websites. They're always available, www.drsophie.com. Voicemail is always up and waiting for you at one eight five five sophie now or one eight five five seven six seven four nine six six. Again, my book, Side by Side, Mother-Daughter Conflict Resolution Book. Who doesn't need that when you're a mother or a daughter? Also, follow me on Twitter and Facebook for any updates of TV and any new podcasts coming up. 
Don't forget to please visit iTunes to download the full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up. And most importantly, don't forget to sweep. But you gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down, hey. You gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down.